Good afternoon, good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. This is the Mental Health Radio Network. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. We've got a special edition of ITRN Radio. We're introducing and launching a brand new show. We've got a tough love messenger coming on for you this afternoon, and we're going to give you a taste, a dose of what you can expect with the tough love messenger. So stick and stay, don't go away. Put your seatbelts on, get your thinking cap on, get your heart in the right place, get your mind in the right place, because we've got a great show for you this afternoon. You're going to get a taste of what's to come. So come on back right here at itrnradio.com. Join us at 682-710-1101. That's 682-710-1101. And I'd like to introduce to you none other than my favorite, Mr. Leonard Collins, calling the key, the tough love message, right here, itrnradio.com. Thank you so much for that introduction. Again, my name, I'm your host, King Vision, and the show is the Tough Love Messenger. This show is about addressing the issues and the opportunities in the African-American community with heavy, heavy emphasis on the leadership of the African-American man and his importance to the success of our community that will create a self-reliance, prosperous community. As the King Vision has said in the past, we are in a crisis predicament. And I'm going after the African-American man that was born in 1949 to 1959. Thank you. Kiana? They had the nerve, the audacity to let black folks suffer for 460 years. And at the end of the civil rights movement, rather than going back and saying, let's find out what has happened to black folks for 460 years. Have they been psychologically, emotionally, politically, educationally damaged? Nobody spent one minute of time trying to figure out what had happened to black folk over all that period of time. So in the course of the civil rights movement, to end up, they say, well, let's pretend that nothing has happened to them, that they were not injured, they were not hurt. And now let's go seek integration, pretend that we're all equal. Now, that was grossly unfair, because by that point in time, and by the 1966 period, whites had become economic giants in America. They owned and controlled everything at that point in time. Black folk didn't own anything. Whites controlled almost 100% of all the wealth, the income, the privileges, the businesses, the resources, and all levels of government. Blacks had nothing. Blacks were one-foot midgets. And they allowed us then to use integration to walk from our communities, from our ghettos, over in their communities. Totally disarmed, not understanding anything, blind, naked, and then saying you go and compete. Compete with... One more time. 
to say what I'm saying, and nobody has never said it, and they're just so happy to see a black man who will stand up and jeopardize every court he's got to tell the truth. So like Floyd Patterson and other fighters, they just don't take part. They make a million dollars, they get them a Rolls Royce, they get them a nice home, they get them a white wife. Well, I made it, America's great, and the rest of them catching hell, and he won't say nothing. But when one man of popularity can let the world know the problem, he can. Uh, he might lose a few dollars himself telling the truth, might lose his life. But he's helping millions. But if I kept my mouth shut just because I can make millions, and then this ain't doing nothing. So I just love the freedom and the flesh and blood of my people more so than I do the money. You can take it sure and play it right in Washington. Let Nixon hear it. <laughs> okay, let me elaborate on the two topics. Um, the first one, the information that Claude Anderson gave you is absolutely on point. Now, here's my question. And with this show, always ask yourself, when anything happens to us going forward, why? Why is that the case? What was it about African Americans that white America had to impose such opposition? Where did that come from? And I can only feel that this is actually started in Africa. Why would they want to erase our history? Let me see. We cannot let those Negroes know how great they were. Right. If we let those Negroes know how great they were, we are in trouble. Right. That's right. And if we continue to allow this to take place. We can't blame anyone but ourselves. And Muhammad Ali is absolutely right. Muhammad Ali was condemned. And he was not only condemned, but he was stripped because he did not believe in the white society, because he was not going to go to war, because he stood up for what was right. He stood up for that. So why are we taking a different position today when we talk about our leadership and we talk about what is and what isn't? But what are we doing to preserve ourselves? What are we doing to address the needs of the community? And I'm not talking about one community. I'm talking about the entire ethnicity. And I'm so glad that you are bringing the tough love messenger to the airwaves because we need to have this conversation continuously until we take a stand for ourselves. We can talk about it on TikTok, Facebook, but if we don't do anything about it, can't blame anybody but ourselves. And I've got to say, don't mind, King, I believe wholeheartedly that. Tyree Nicholson. Tyree Nichols or Nicholson. There would have been a different outcome had we been a stronger community. The boy would still be alive. I believe that. But those those so-called officers were able to do that because they knew, just like they said on the news, they chose those because they picked the ones who would not 
allow black men to get away with anything. They were able to have that force because just like they said, I hope they stomp his ass. And for what? And for what? Right. And, and as we continue on the, the prior two uh, comments, what I want to point out, and the reason why I say it's so important for men, black men that were born in 1949 to 1959 is because you were alive when Ali was alive. You were a kid. That's an experience that many of our other generations have not experienced. Ali was talking like this in the 60s. Now, yes. can you imagine the greatness if the majority of us took that same posture and stance where we'd be today? So it begs to reason, why did they go through what they did to him? Because every time there's an African-American man making a move, speaking the truth, just like with Kyrie Irving, the first thing they want to do is strip him down to nothing. Just the only difference between uh, uh, the weapons that they would give our slaves is this is verbally and the power of the pen. Now, again, my question is, why is there so much focus on African-Americans? We came over here as slaves. So why would they still today want to hold us back? Now, the reason why I say I'm the, the uh, King Vision is because something happened in Africa before the slave trade started. There were some wars that were going on that Europeans were getting their asses whooped, okay? So this is why once they got us here from our country, we can never let them unite. You see this behavior. You can get five Mexicans on a corner. The police will drive by all day. Just keep driving. Oh, look at them. Oh, they're doing such a nice job. They're trying to sell oranges and strawberries. You get five black kids, same age. It's a gang. And what are they trying to do? Now, again, my question is, why? And, yeah, you can keep saying you're black. I, I understand that. That's not the issue. The issue is, why is there such an agenda to keep us where we are? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. And with all of the highly, highly intelligent African Americans that we have amongst us, and we're still where we are today, I say this to say, my favorite saying is, if you truly understand what cultural collectivity is, we're not having this type of conversation. When we start a business, how many agencies and marketing campaigns do we have by black, support black? Now, I only have 50 cents in my pocket, but I'm willing to bet anybody a million dollars Show me where it says buy Mexican, buy Armenian, buy Jewish, 
by Korean, where does it, where, can you find any campaign anywhere, any marketing media that speaks on that? You know why they don't speak on that? Because it's their cultural collectivity that they have. It's their behavior. It's their culture. They think that way. So we don't think that way. So we have to market in that way. Again, the question is, why? And I'm glad that you are choosing this platform or you have chosen this platform for this conversation. We had a show on Tuesday. It was entitled, The Condition of Black America, Past, Present, and the Future. And we had an awesome panel. We had five, four or five distinguished men and women who talked about the issues that we are facing today and the issues that we will face if we don't take this seriously and if we don't change our narrative ourselves. So, again, we're launching your show, The Tough Love Messenger. And my prayer, literally, my prayer is that the masses in the Black community will hear your message. And you're right. It's now about tough love. And you make a very good point. Why is it others are able to do exactly as they want to, as they please? And never, never are the conditions for the outcome the same. Now, here in L.A., and I say this on this show, on the network, every week, I say it all the time, there is all Ways a high-speed chase every day. Channel 7 says that there's a high-speed chase at least three to four times a day. There are so many high-speed chases in L.A. County, they can't keep up. So they can only report on the one that they get to first. Well, every high-speed chase, let's say there are 100, let's say there are 200 in a year. There are 200 high-speed chases. Almost 99 and three-quarters percent of those high-speed chases are done by Mexican men. You might find a Mexican woman. You might even find a white woman that's lost her mind. I don't believe ever I've seen a black woman. I think maybe twice I've seen a black man. But every out of 100, 99 are Mexican men. And the way it's rationalized is that they're running because they don't want to be deported. They don't have a license. They don't have this. They don't have that. So they're running for that reason. So we can find reason and justification for them. But we never seem to find reason and justification for Black people. And and that's a good point. And and that's the condition of... um, European thinking and European culture. My main concern is why hasn't black men as a whole understand the importance of our plight as Muhammad Ali did? And that's over 60 years ago. Okay. We have so many different things during that time that shows our movement. 
And yet, we're still struggling. Now, we say about the rap music. We talk about the crack cocaine. <clears throat> but I also checked the heroin epidemic was just as bad, but some people think crack was worse. That's debatable. Either way, those two uh, chemical drugs help destroy and hold African Americans back on progress on many different levels. Um, Kiki, if you could play the next video and play that one twice so the listening audience can hear it again. Question. Do you hate all white people? I don't think it's a fair question. Uh, my edit, the white, my edit, the white man doesn't even come into my attitude. Uh, he, Mr. Muhammad teaches us to love our own kind and let the white man take care of himself. For a white man today, sir, after, uh, kidnapping millions of black people from Africa, stripping them of all human characteristics and relegating them to the role of chattel or cattle or animals, commodity, merchandise, that could be bought and sold at will, uh, and then a hundred years since the Emancipation Pro Proclamation, using every type of deceptive method to further us into slavery, uh, called second-class citizenship, I think that it would take a whole lot of nerve for white people today to ask Negroes, do they hate them? Question. Do you hate all white people? I don't think it's a fair question. Uh, my the white, my the white man doesn't even come into my attitude. Uh, he, Mr. Muhammad teaches us to love our own kind and let the white man take care of himself. For a white man today, sir, after uh, kidnapping millions of black people from Africa, stripping them of all human characteristics and relegating them to the role of chattel or cattle or animals, commodity, merchandise that could be bought and sold at will, uh, and then a hundred years since the Emancipation Pro Proclamation, using every type of deceptive method to further us into slavery, uh, called second-class citizenship, I think that it would take a whole lot of nerve for white people today to ask Negroes, do they hate them? Good. Now, I want to lead into this. And different people see white supremacy a different way. Now, my position with white supremacy, if they had this door over here, and this is a door of employment, and you knock at that door and just say it's a European door. You're looking for employment. Knock, knock, knock. We're not hiring. If you go to the next door where there's Asian people, knock, knock, knock. They're not hiring us, but we focus so much on why the white man does this. But why don't you go knock, knock, knock at the black door? Oh, that's right. There is no black door. This is what I mean when I talk about white supremacy. The question that was posed to him should have been, Malcolm X, you are one of the most outstanding, articulate African Americans, and it appears that you want better for your people. What is it that we can do to help you? That's not what he asked him. He asked him the most ignoramus question. Why do you hate white people? Well, he could have said, why do you hate black people? But because he was in a position with the mic in his face, as you know, we always have to be perfect, enunciate word, every word, and every syllable, perfect. So why 
did he feel so comfortable to ask him that type of question? And he had to ask that question. Now, when he answered him, you didn't hear anything else from the white man, did you? No. Okay. So, again, my point being is we listened to Muhammad Ali. We listened to Malcolm X. And fortunately, both of them are Muslim. I don't follow the Muslim faith, but my point being is they were strong in their belief. That's number one. Number two, that was in the 60s. So we have black men, two different black men speaking like this and going against the system, the grain. In reality, we should have been focused on ourselves. Yes. Um, Yes. You're absolutely right. Instead of us focusing on us, we were so busy trying to be like them that we missed us. You're absolutely right. That's why I'm so glad that you're bringing this to our platform, ITRN Radio, because we can discussion. We sure had that discussion decades ago. We were so busy being, trying to be accepted and so busy doing our best to integrate, just like we are today. We lost our way, so you're a thousand percent right. You're absolutely right. And, and what I found, um, I can list a number of outstanding men, African American men, uh, that should be in this leadership role to take us to the promised land. But that be that conversation will be for another day. But I want to talk about something uh, of principles. Um, and it's called the seven principles of Kwanzaa. Again, over 60 years ago, and this covers everything. Let's start with unity. Number one, to strive for, maintain unity in family, community, nation, and race. So we already covered that. So they covered that, and this is in 1960, okay? Seven principles of Kwanzaa. So that's principle number one. Number two, self-determination to define ourselves, create for ourselves. It didn't say ask nobody for shit. It said create for ourselves. It didn't say, uh, Mr. White Man from Europe, please speak for ourselves. It didn't say that. It says speak for ourselves. So now we got that covered. Then it says collective work and responsibility to build, build, and maintain. Like, don't be tagging everybody's house, okay, and forgetting to cut the grass and got trash everywhere. But don't let me digress. Let me stay focused. Our community together. Yes. And this is the one I love. To make our brothers and sisters' problems our problems. To solve them together. Ooh, don't listen to me. Just, just, you know, I need somebody to talk to me. I, I need somebody to tell me something. If we just followed that, don't listen to Leonard. Don't listen to the, uh, King Vision. And here's the fourth one. You're right. Cooperative economics to build and maintain our stores. See, there's no question if we're going to have stores. It didn't say if we have stores. It said maintain and own our stores, shops, other businesses, and profit from them together. 
So that's that. So you, you there, there is, you, you can't say, well, I don't quite understand what it's saying. It's clear what it's saying. Number five, purpose. To make collective vocation, even if you don't have your degree, the building and development of our community in order to, whew, I was just talking about this, to restore our people in, in say to ad hoc greatness. It didn't say temporary greatness. It didn't say mediocrity greatness. It said traditional greatness. And that traditional can fall right into the cultural collectivity. Now, number six, creativity. To always do as much as we can. It didn't say uh, take out the trash and then go sit down and watch the game or, go, or get on the PC, uh, PlayStation. It didn't say that. It said always do as much as we can in the way we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than we inherited. Meaning that when you buy your piece of property, which we want to consider, uh, um, um, what's the right word I want to use? Um, it'll come to me in a minute. I, I hate when I forget this, but that's what happens when you get old. Um, and number seven, faith. We got that covered because you know we love some God. To believe with all of our hearts, to believe with all of our heart and our people. It didn't say nothing about the Asian people. It didn't say nothing about the European people. Okay. It didn't say anything about the Mexicans. It didn't say anything about the Armenians. It said our people. It didn't say about the white folks' parents. It didn't say anything about the European parents. It said our parents, our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and the victory of our struggle. Now, I don't know what is missing in this these seven principles, but it looked like it's pretty covered to me. And my question is, why haven't we followed these principles in our community? Because it says stay to ourselves. It didn't say go ask the government. Okay. It said for us to work in our communities. So the question again, there's something missing that all of us, when we read this, it doesn't resonate. But I can assure you with the Jewish community, when the end of the year comes, I think it's September, when Rosh Hashanah comes, the Jewish people understand what that means. When Yom Kippur comes, the Jewish people understand what that means. And they make sure the kids understand what that means. But again, uh, Yolanda, would you like to elaborate on anything? Before I go forward, I'm kind of getting fired up now. You know what? I Again, I, I'm so proud, pleased to have you on so that we can have this conversation. And as I mentioned, we had on last Tuesday the condition of Black America. And we are still talking about that. That is not a one-off. That is not just for a show. It is to ensure that the conversation and the narrative continue. Because as long as we see things as they are, we will find ourselves in this condition 
30 years from now and we will have not made any changes. And you make a valid point. How do we, why are we still here? And you have asked that question. We continue to ask that question. I don't think anybody has come up with an answer to that. I, I don't think we've come up with an answer. And, and one of the things that I think we have to talk about is one of your mantras is cultural collectivity and connectivity. And we've got someone in our ITRN family who's with us quite a bit who talks about what we need to do and why we should do it. However, he's not necessarily seeing the same things that we see. He he is uh, definitely a person that says we need a seat at the table. And I want to say I think we're past needing a seat at the table. It's clear that just because we need a seat at the table, it doesn't mean that we're going to get a seat at the table. And it doesn't mean that we need to have a seat at that table. We need a seat at our own table. We need to create tables that we are in control of. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm thinking that if we don't take control of this, if we're not in control in 23, do you think we will ever be in control? I think the opportunity um, is there. And as I often said, I would be afraid and I would have a lot of destitute within my self-esteem if we weren't as highly intelligent and scholars as we are. Because we are, we can turn this around relatively quick. But the longer it goes on, if we add another 10 years on and we're still talking about the same thing, it pushes everything back. So I'm going to give a little scenario because many of us believe in God. And, you know, one of the things that I was told, if you can think it, if you can see it in your mind, then it can happen. Now, many of us black people, and I would say the majority of black folks, go to church. Most of us Baptists, we believe in God. Uh, if you go to a funeral, I think the pastor, there's something to the effect, can't quote, but many of you have been to funerals, and those of you are religious, you know what I'm trying to say. And that would be, the Lord has many houses, and he's bringing you home, or many castles. I, I can't remember exactly, but he has many rooms. So if you if you say this, I have to feel like you believe it. So that means those people that have left and gone home are up in heaven or whatever place similar that we want to call it. But we always are told we'll see them again. Now, this is my position to all the black entertainers that are making buku money, whether it be a rapper, whether it be a singer, whether it be an actress, 
whether it be an athlete. And I put more emphasis on the athletes because they're the ones that are going to be the future because they are young. But they need to be able to see the blueprint. But my question, Yolanda, and I would like to pose this to you and the listening audience. So if you believe in God, and when you pass, uh, you're going to go see the people that have left before you. But uh, before you go, Yahweh says, um, in order to get into this room, um, you're going to have to talk to these ladies first. And can you imagine these ladies sitting at a table and they ask you this very question? So I'm going to name the sisters. Harriet Tugman, she's sitting at the head. Ida B. Wells, Betty Shabazz, Coretta Scott King, Madam C.J. Walker, Rosa Parks, Shirley Tism, and Sigourney Truth. Them sisters are sitting at the table and Harriet asks you, uh, whatever you do, don't lie, because we've been watching you. So now you, you can't lie. This is the moment of truth. What did you do to help your people, your community? For for much is given, much is expected. So I want to hear you tell me what you did for your people. Now, can you imagine all the African-Americans that made money right now? And when it's your time to go, you got to go at that table and explain. As they would say, a European show. And I'm just being funny. Uh, Lucy, you got some explaining to do. So my question is, what are some of the things, Yolanda, do you think that these wealthy, wealthy African-Americans that have these uh, 30,000 square foot homes that cost a million dollars, jewelry, and I'd like to say, uh, Money Mayweather. I like to use him as an example. Yes. What is he going to say at the table? Well, you know what? He's got a 30,000 square foot home, but you can rest assured it wasn't a million dollars, it was more like 30 million. Okay, so what are they doing with this ugly? God awful, uh, uh, what do you call that? That ostentatious jewelry that's just, it's so unattractive and they wear it like it's a chain around their necks. That's all it is. Right. And you know what? And before you go any further, hold on with that thought because <laughs> that was one of the things I wanted to say. Now, I'm going to say this is how ignorant we are. They brought us over here in chains, if I remember correctly, and they had us in chains. Yes. You would think chains around That's your neck would be the right. last thing that you would ever put on your body. That's right. Okay. okay. Absolutely. So, go, so go ahead, Yolanda, continue. And, and having said that, you would think that enough information has been published. And you made a great point. You made a great point. Enough information has been published so that anybody worth their salt could look at that, those horrible chains. They're, they're just, they're, they're so big and they look like a chain around a monkey. That's what they use in zoos to, to walk animals. You would think 
that they wouldn't want to wear that because it doesn't represent anything. And if you notice, nobody worth their salt but rappers are wearing those things. When was the last time you saw, let's say, uh, George Clooney? Let's say, uh, what's the other guy's name? Um, what's the guy's name? At least Huey Lewis. Have you ever seen him wear anything like that? Have you ever seen the the white country music stars or the Mexican guys? Have you ever seen them wear anything like that? The Gangnam guy. Have you ever seen him wear anything like that? Those those just those chains. And what's the word I'm looking for? They are gaudy. They are just huge. They are chains that are put around animals. Why would they do that? That means they are not reading. They're not, they're not aligned. They're not, their intellect is lacking because that symbolizes something that is not positive, nor is it admirable. Or is it anything that someone would be proud of? You can't take any pride in that. So right. we're chains. And as I said, you bring up a very good point. Why would you wear a chain when slaves, slaves were brought to this country in chains? Why would you do that? I wear necklaces all the time. I'm not going to wear some gaudy, horrible, chain around my neck I'm not going to do that because that chain symbol says something how can that be fixed again once these type of things are pointed out and I firmly firmly believe that if there are more documentaries similar to the one Colin Kaepernick has done, um, similar to the one that uh, I love this sister. I keep forgetting her name. I think it's Ava DuVay. I think she did 13, if I remember correctly. Okay. Those types of doc. Right. Now, with all of those things um, being published, when was that? When did that come out? Did that come out eight years ago? Uh, Colin Kaepernick's, uh, bio or documentary that he had. Um, are we at two years? Did it come out last year or did it come out 2020 there's or did a, it come out yeah. 2019? Yeah, there's, and, a, I think it could have been 2020. Right. So that already means it's three years old. Mm-hmm. So I want to continue. Um, Keanu, let's go with the fourth one, please, and play that one twice as well. Thank you. Promoters of all kinds, Jewish, Italian, white, have done all types of things in boxing, have taken money from boxing, have been caught doing crooked things, have robbed fighters, and nobody's never had no press conferences. I'll pull them above board and show them. I said, because these two men are black, it seems that all type powers and people are trying to make these men look bad because they're black. I didn't say anything about Noah. What type powers and people? What type power? Are you trying to get me to say something else? I'm so, how old are you? How old are you? 
It's not important. Well, what you ask me questions for? You ask me questions? This is your press conference. Well, I ask you a question. How old are you? This is your press conference. Don't ask Sorry. me no more questions. I won't talk no more. You can't. I just ask you how old are you? Because you're a white man, you're a racist. Because I'm a nigga, you gonna ask me questions, and I ain't gonna ask you no questions. I ask you how old you were. You gonna tell me you ain't gonna answer. Well, hell, but you get your ass away from me. Get up now. Why you gotta stay here? Get up now. I get up. Champ, what happened when. Motherfucker, I told you get up. Yeah, I'd like to hear that for sure one more time. <laughs> Go ahead. Promoters of all kinds, Jewish, Italian, white, have done all types of things in boxing, have taken money from boxing, have been caught doing crooked things, have robbed fighters, and nobody's never had no press conferences. I pull them above board and show I said, because these two men are black, it seems that all type powers and people are trying to make these men look bad because they're black. I didn't say anything about Noah. What type powers and people? What type power? You trying to get me to say something else? I'm so how old are you? How old are you? It's not well, what you ask me questions for? You ask me questions? This is your press conference. Well, I ask you a question. How old are you? This is your press conference. Don't ask me no more questions. I won't talk to no more. You can't. I just ask you how old are you? Because you're a white man. You're a racist. Because I'm a nigga. You're going to ask me questions, and I ain't going to ask you no questions. I ask you how old you were. You're going to tell me you ain't going to answer. Well, hell, but you get your ass away from me. Get up now. Why are you going to stay here? Get up now. I get up. Champ, what happened when... Motherfucker, I told you get up. <laughs> now, again, I want to talk about... This was over 60-something years ago. Muhammad Ali, and that's why people of our age and our generation can respect him because we heard those type of conversations. And I want to elaborate. You had Muhammad Ali. You had Malcolm X. You had Megger Epics. You had Martin Luther King. You had Rosa Parks. You had the Black Panthers. You had John Carlos and Jimmy Smith in the Olympics in 68. You had Angela Davis. All of these things went on in the 60s. I'm not naming these people and said, okay, it went from 1920 to 1970. No, in a 10-year period, this is how we thought. So why would the European and the government come after us the way that they have treated us? And the, and the simple question is, they know. The problem is, we don't know. And we haven't accepted it. And once we figure this out, you can forget it. It's all over after that. Um, yep. Because right. we'll come together quickly. And long as they understand that, and again, the question, the way that man asked him, what? You see Ali, right? He said, why you asking that? You trying to get me? And then if you listen to him closely, he said, I'm smarter than that. And he caught himself. He said, what's your name? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the whole point is, Ali wasn't afraid of any anything to speak about anything during that time. And we don't have those type of leaders now. Now, those leaders today should be a takeoff of the leaders of the past. But the government keeps us off base all the time, or we use that as an excuse. 
So I have um, talked to many other cultures, and the one culture that uh, told me the truth, the open, honest communication, they and this culture was Chinese. So I just want to be clear with that. Now, they follow Buddha. They said African-American is nothing but crybabies because of all of the accomplishments they make. Why don't they work together? But what scares me, and I'm going to say the eyes of God's truth, if we're going to be honest with this, see, we're still slaves in the way we think because we keep asking Europeans for permission and acceptance because it's the condition that they put us in. So if any of you have heard of a Stockholm syndrome, that is where a person is captive. They abuse them and they abuse them and then they'll give them. And I'll use this as an example. We were eating chitlins and they were eating steaks. So the minute you get a taste of steak and they throw you a piece of cold steak, now you call them good people. But they've been abusing you for so long that you don't have any self-esteem for yourself. And any self-esteem that you get in your mind, they're the ones that you'll accept it from because you have a, a slave mind. Now, I don't think like that. And before you start, I want to tell you the difference of the cultures because I want the audience to understand me as a child. As a child, my father gave me these couple of things. He said, one, if anybody's talking to you, and he made it clear, if it was a white man, you're looking straight in the eye. You don't look down. You don't blink. Nothing. Why? Because you need to see if he's going to look you in the eyes. That's number one. Number two, it shows strength. It shows confidence. And you get a chance to let him feel you just through your eyes. That was number one, he told me. Number two, he said, son, I don't care what. If you see any black man, black woman, doing anything good, you praise them. You never, ever talk against them. My father was telling me this in 1960. I didn't understand why he was telling me this. But the point being, when you have a father in the house, there are things you're going to learn. Okay? And the last thing he said with confidence, son, when you get in position, you open doors for your people just like everybody else. Now, he didn't say if you get in position. He said when you get in position. Now, it's kind of the same confidence, and I take off with this with Tiger Woods, and we talk about Tiger Woods, but what you're not talking about is how deep his dad was. When we talk about Venus and Serena, we need to talk about old King Richard. Those parents had vision. There was nothing that was going to prevent them from their children, their offspring, their DNA to reach greatness. They were not going to let that happen. And you, and from time to time, this is where I know there's a guy. 
he'll let you experience it. Mm-hmm. He didn't show you no, he didn't show you no Asian parent to take an Asian kid from a kid and be great. He didn't show you no Mexican kid. And then not only did he show you a boy, he showed you two black sisters. And I don't, when I say sister, sister, I mean sister in color and I mean sister in DNA. And they were great. So when you see this type of thing, it should motivate you, but it doesn't. Why? Because 80% of us still think like a slave. And I always like to um, use percentages just because it was my line of work. But I also use percentages with the human body. So if you have 80% of a body that has a disease, you know there's not a chance. If you Even if you have 50%, you only have a 50% chance. So we have to turn that around. And the only way that we can turn that around is if we begin to have studies about what's going to happen in the future. Um, and I will talk about that on next uh, show that we have, we're talking about the economy. Um, and what I mean by the economy, I mean how much a loaf of bread costs in the 60s and 70s, how much gasoline costs, how much gasoline is increased. And when you turn around and look at the inflation right now, you see it happening in the utilities. You see it happening in the grocery market. They have, I think it's Goldman Sachs, they are investing in creating uh, communities not to sell the home, to rent. They're going to buy up as much as they can where you won't be able to buy. You'll only be able to rent, and you'll never, ever be able to have a home. So you won't be able to have generational wealth, and that was the word I was trying to remember earlier, is generational wealth in your home. Um, Yolanda, um, if you'd like to touch on that, um, and then after that, I'll close up and uh, we'll end up with uh, Richard Pryor's prayers. Okay. Well, thank you so very much. And as we said at the beginning of this hour, the beginning of the show, this is the launch of the Tough Love Messenger. And this is a tough love message that I truly believe everyone needs to listen to and to follow and use this as a guideline, as a recipe of what we should do moving forward. We only have a little bit of time and we talk about a lot, especially on this network and especially in our daily lives. We're talking about this all the time. And unfortunately, we're simply talking about it. We're not moving in the direction of resolution and we have to, we've got to come up with solutions to change this, because as it is written, between 2033, which is in a minute, and 2053, Black people will make up zero in the economic structure of this country. And we're practically there, because as it is reported almost daily in the Black community, a dollar takes six hours to circulate. It's only circulating for six hours. And all other ethnicities 
are up to 28 and 30 days. We are only six hours. That's almost embarrassing. So, King, my good man, we've got a lot to talk about on this network, and we have a lot of work to do. And it begins somewhere. Why not here? So I exactly. have to say, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of the ITRN family. It is a pleasure and a privilege and honor for you to bring this message to the masses. And my prayer is that this reach countless people, countless people, and we begin a movement. We started a movement with Change Matters Solutions, and we're continuing the movement with the Tough Love Messenger. So thank you for your message. And so, I, as I said before, I am your... Say that again. I said, as I mentioned, uh, I am your host, King Vision, and I'm getting ready to play uh, a prayer by a very renowned comedian that um, was in 1976. So I want you to see where we were mentally. Kiana, close us out with that prayer. And again, thank you for joining the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 